Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. is revolting with steve and robot on the cycling independent episode 56 the irresistible charms of self-destruction and hey if you're new here and this is the first time you're listening bad words are going to happen mature and immature themes will be explored if you don't like those things then peace out now if this isn't if this isn't your first time here well then that's on you so beat it and away we go uh this is a good one by the way thank you my god (laughs) it only took us 56 episodes to get here but i am i'm super into this topic and Ah. i have a extensive history with it (laughs) yeah oh man i mean we both do right this is great we we do so we had um we had an editorial meeting recently, which is you and, you and me. Yeah, you and I did. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's you and me shouting ideas at each other right. <laughs> for however long. And this was not one, but I was out walking uh, Django, my dog, the other day. And I was like, why? I don't know why. But in my head, I was like, why do I so often choose the thing that's going to hurt what is that? It's it's a uh, it's a mystery. And why do you why do some people not? You know, like why are people why are some people? Uh, I I mean, it's a safety mechanism. It's survival instinct. And some people <laughs> feel. Some people say, "I'm not going to do a front flip over the bonfire because that's a bad idea." And some maybe people, I don't have that. Yeah. Some people say doing a front flip over the bonfire is exactly what needs to happen. Yeah, that's right. And so the the follow on from that was even though it wasn't part of our editorial meeting, as I was walking Django, uh, I may have even been um, bagging his dump at the time. Uh, I thought to myself, Steve has input on this. But yeah. then I was like, I'm not going to text him right away, which is a thing that I might normally do. I'm not going to text him right away because that's going to ruin the whole thing. I'm just going to spring it on him as a topic. It was great. So I, we- I opened the notes and and uh, uh, the people who are listening right now can't can't see me, but I did this. <laughs> it's a quiet nod with a knowing <laughs> smile. <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah let's get into that but uh you know what's as... weird is the the thing the face the knowing the nod and the knowing smile is what i do when i discover i have a parking ticket <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep yeah that's right uh, of course <laughs> that saw that coming yep <laughs> should have known before we go anywhere with this okay. i want to welcome you to the pool 
And the pool that I'm talking about is not the gene pool. You have exited the gene pool and entered the pool that I live in. The, and I don't know what it's called. It's outside of the gene pool. You've taken yourself yeah. out of the pool. Welcome to the pool that's out of the pool. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. What is our pool? Uh, middle-aged dudes who are sterile. Ah, uh, yeah. I guess. Doesn't gene pool sound so natural, and the one you just said sounds less natural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you are, is this a story you want to tell, or you want to just... Well, I haven't really... I mean, I can. I haven't really brought it up with anybody. I haven't. It was something that I did purely for myself. Uh, It was, you know, this year it was either take a vacation or buy a new battery for my truck and get a vasectomy. Uh, And and the battery and the vasectomy just seemed so uh, luxurious. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mentioned it to some people and a lot of people asked me why. And a lot of people said, you know, a lot of men said, oh, that's on my to-do list. Um, yeah. Uh, and how was it? And this, that, and the other thing. And, the, you know, even the urologist said, you know, is this something you've been thinking about for a while? And I said, yeah, um, really, you know, it was, it's sort of, it's symbolic in a lot of ways because uh, yeah. I should have sh- done it and I'm not starting a family so why carry around this weapon you know <laughs> um, i wish i had ever thought of mine as a weapon well okay that's I not hear a good, you. that's not a good analogy yeah but uh really like i think the thing that really sort of set me off or t- tipped tipped the scale for me was uh women losing their bodily autonomy in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And, and it's just, it, there's almost an, a degree of sort of quiet rebellion for me as well, besides the other stuff. It's like, well, all right, why, why not? You know, this is a decision to take control of my own body is something that people, 50% of the population in America is at risk of losing. And, and the other 50% take absolutely for granted. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a really, it's an interesting conversation. Uh, and I don't know exactly. I, I can't, I've, I've tried to articulate it. I've tried to sum it up concisely. Yeah. Um, but those are, th- that's sort of what propelled me. And, um, there's a, 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 a sort of a degree of sadness or sort of melancholy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, I felt that. yeah, uh, you know, it's almost, I don't know why it's like you're, you're losing, you're not losing the option. If, if I decide, you know, it's 79 years old, I'm Mick Jagger and, you know, <laughs> having a baby seems like a really good idea. Um, but it's sort of a, in the end of a, it's a conclusion of a chapter, I suppose. Yeah, I just felt, um, I felt like, oh, now I'm biologically meaningless. Uh, there's something both subtly sad about that and also kind of funny. (laughs) I don't think I was, I was kind of biologically meaningless anyway. I mean, I didn't, I I never planned on having a 
kid. Yeah. I never yeah. wanted to have a kid. I the idea had the topic had come up and the topic had been discussed and you know I'm in a position now where I'm really like kind of flying solo. It's not you know and this isn't like oh now I'm having so much sex because that's not at all the case. It's just it just I don't know. It just seemed it just seemed right. Um yeah. So uh here I am. Well this discussion wasn't nearly as funny as I'd hoped. That's it's it's weird. I you know I haven't I haven't really discussed it with anybody. Uh you yeah. know and I'm not I can't say that I'm entirely at ease with it yet. Sure. So and like physically I I one one of my nuts got pretty roughed up. It's not. It wasn't the worst thing. I mean, my like any dental experience I've ever had was a thousand times worse than this was. But uh, you know, it's it's, it's a little uh, invasive. Uh, let's it's say. vulnerable making. Mm, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm not to the point where I'm I'm like ready to make jokes about it because I, oh, well, I haven't we'll, really we'll talked about it we'll too much. We'll do chuckles later then. Yeah, it'll be it'll be hilarious in six months. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's jump straight out of uh, personal autonomy and biological. Um, I know I really bared my soul with this. I mean, I haven't, I haven't talked to my parents about it. I haven't talked to my family about it. Like this is if they listen to this, they'll be maybe <laughs> surprise. <laughs> You're definitely not getting grandkids now. <laughs> I hope I hope the folks down at the cabin, your local uh, your local establishment there. I hope that they throw you a going out party. Um, I don't know. It's not like a coming out party. It's more like a I hope they a post vasectomy. Maybe post vasectomy parties could become a thing. I, I'd like that. I'm going to pour some beer out on the curb for my my fallen homies. Yeah. Uh, I, I plan on it. I got on the I got on the wagon a week and a half ago, and you know, I'm like, I don't know, just like it's just turning over a bunch of leaves right now, you know, or making sure. changes for winter. I don't know what the fuck is going on. All right, let's see where it goes. Fits of absurdity, periodic fits of absurdity, like just like yeah, Minnesota. It's not- it's not um, it's not uncom incompatible with today's topic. So let's do music picks. Yep. Uh, and then let's get into this nonsense. What is, what is your music pick this week? Oh, um, it's an, it's a record that it's been out for two months or something, but it's the, the new record by the Swedish band, the helicopters. And that oh, is H E L L A C O P T E R S. And it, the last time I saw them was, uh, I don't remember the name of the, uh, it had the lightning bolt in the cloud on it, but it was just, they just seemed sort of unenthused. The The previous times I'd seen them, they were so explosive and so engaged and so excited. Um, and they, they tour relentlessly. They're a really hardworking band and they went away for a decade, I guess, and worked on other projects and uh, their the guitarist passed away, sadly. And, you know, it seemed like they had a, a bunch of sort of, uh, reflection and soul searching and stuff to do musically individually. And they came back together and put this record out called eyes of oblivion. And it's, you know, they didn't miss a beat. They're really, 
probably one of my one of my most favorite bands and the, just the output you know these guys have always written and and put out so much good music and uh it, it's really exciting for me to see that they're back at it and they didn't miss a beat i think it's very impressive when people who are our age are continuing to rage yeah the the, the <laughs> tendency is to mellow and to become contemplative yeah. And I appreciate a band like Helicopters, which is like, nope. <laughs> and they haven't, you know, and they physically, they haven't changed. Like, that's the crazy thing. They've been on the road for so many years and they've been hitting it so hard. And maybe it's just, I don't know, Scandinavian blood or, you know, it's, I'm Scandinavian, like something in the water. Cause there's no shortage of amazing bands that have come out of Scandinavia in the last 20 years. Yeah. Uh, so I'm. Yeah, I'm. I couldn't be happier. This is a. It's a great record. It's great production. It's great packaging. Um, and uh, that's my. Yeah, that's that's my pick. Well, my pick is not uh, incompatible with your pick. It's a band. Uh, it's a band called Black Tusk, and it's a record called Tend No Wounds, and they are from Georgia, and they play that. I mean. Uh, just going with the vasectomy theme, uh, they play a very balls out. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> they, they play a very balls out <laughs> style of metal. Um, I'm, I don't even know what to call it. Is it thrash? Is it? I don't know. It's just like kind of gonzo. Like Black Tusk for me should always be playing at a gas station. <laughs> that's where that's where I want to hear their music. The rad thing about them is that you even you just by saying the name, if you could imagine what sort of music a band called Black Tusk would play, it's yeah. exactly the kind of music that Black Tusk plays. Yeah. And they're in a long line of of bands that like Black Sabbath, Black Cobra, Black Keys, yep. Black Black Dahlia. other stuff. There's, I mean, there's so many. There's, there's black, black. There's probably more black bands, like names that you know, band yeah. names that begin with the word black than than any other. But uh, they're they're great. They so great. what? T Ten no wounds is the album. Ten no wounds is the album. It came out a long time ago. I forget. I don't, I'm not sure what year. But it's one of those uh, records. Like if I'm gonna go, if I'm going mountain biking, and I'm trying to like, and I'm a little bit undercooked. And I want to like G myself up. That's a record that I would put on. Yeah. It, it'd get me fired up. Or if I had a really good ride, say I went, I drove somewhere out into the wherever with some friends and we rode bikes. I might put it on afterwards as a way to like, uh, keep the energy going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I support our picks this week. Those are both good. Oh, that is generous of you. We have great taste in music. Such, such, so great. <laughs> you know what else we have great taste in? Is it sponsors? Corporate sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> so how about we take a break and hear a word from ours? Let's do it. Oh, hey, it's Storytime with Steve-O. About three years ago, Shimano tapped me to join a group of people they were calling the Gravel Alliance. Essentially, this was a group of people who were going to ride and test the GRX Gravel Group, 
We're going to do races around the country and rides and have light influence on design and engineering and research and development tweaks that needed to be done before it went to market. Uh, on the surface, this was just an opportunity to ride bikes and to meet this amazing group of personalities and even to take a peek behind the curtain and learn a little bit more about Shimano as a company. Uh, but on the underneath, I learned more about myself and my own self-worth than I could have ever hoped for. Uh, the whole thing was really brilliant, and I understand that's not exactly what they had in mind when they asked me to sign on, but uh, that was a byproduct, and I will forever be in Shimano's debt because of it. Oh, our, our intro clap was so, it was so good, you couldn't even tell that two people were clapping. Yeah. It was on, and, and now I'm paying super close attention because we recorded one, I guess there was the one that was just published whenever i don't we're, we're like four and ahead so when i say the one that was just published that was at this point it was actually like three episodes ago we're only two ahead oh, we're only man. two ahead we're, we're dancing on a tightrope of content creation now remember when, when we had like 15 in the can yeah. or like 18 in the can that was no worries Sitting yeah pretty. we were a year we were in the we were <laughs> living in the year pre previous <laughs> Now we now we actually have our work cut out for us. Now I get nervous. I'm like, oh, I hope Steve will comes around from his procedure because if we, if we miss this week, we're really up against it. And <laughs> uh, golly, what was that? Oh, there here's one. So speaking of episodes that have happened previously, and we were talking about, I guess the one that was just published this week, which when this comes out will be the one that was published three weeks ago, was about gravel racing. And yes. I was talking about this video, these two videos that came out. They were promo videos, and I couldn't remember where they occurred or who put oh, them yeah. out. But it's this guy, Toby Dupai, figured all of this out. Um, it was Half Acre Cycling in Illinois. And if you, what is it? It was called the Gravel Metric. And yep. they did two videos, but the, the, the first video that they released was just it was just a work of art and yep. I think I've reconnected with Toby, but that was, yeah, that was 12 years ago. Um, and that was to my mind, that was some of the first sort of organized quote gravel racing series or experiences. I, I looked at the date on that video. It's a great video and everyone should watch it and feel happy in their hearts. And they should recognize that it was 12 years ago. It was 2010. I guess. Yeah. That, okay. They, yeah. That's I'm, I'm good. with that's math. Mathematically. That's how that works. <clears throat> 2010 or 2011. Regardless, nobody was really riding gravel or like it was just, it was just like a whisper on the wind mm -hmm. at that point. And these people... guys were already like on it and actually had completely understood what was good about it already had developed the correct sense of humor about it. Yeah. It's almost like they finished it before most of us started. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it because it's, it's, it's true. I, I mean, when I just Toby emailed me those, you know, Hey, it's like, Hey, we're doing this thing. And I was, that's a brilliant way. That's a brilliant way of, of putting it. Um, uh, because it was absolutely, uh, it was, it was a fully cooked dish. 
Yeah. You know, there was like no guessing. If it guessing, came out this year, I'd be like, oh, they nailed it. It came it, out this year. They really, they it, they understand what gravel's about. But it came out before I even had a gravel bike. Yeah. They, it was it was cross. They were cross bikes. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or road but bikes with fat tires. It was perfect. So perfect. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, Half Acre. Um, and if anybody's interested, we can probably, I don't know, we'll throw a link to the videos in the notes or whatever, but sure. Why not? Uh, so there you go. Um, moving on, this episode, uh, episode 56, this episode is about the abiding attraction of risky behaviors, either on a bike, on a skateboard or on drugs. If that's what you're into. Or maybe even just walking around breaking laws because yeah. uh, it's about doing things we know won't help us because they're just so goddamn sexy to do them. It feels it feels right. And why? You know, is that because now I'm just thinking about um, thinking about people who do parkour, you know, or people who do like cliff jumping. <laughs> Like there's a, there's a, there's a, has to be, there's an attraction to an inherent, um, degree of risk. And I can't speak for anyone, obviously, except for myself. And I think that that risk, I was thinking about racing bikes and the, and just, you know, going to a, going to a place and put and just putting everything out there and turning myself inside out and hurt hurting myself. I mean, at one point there was, a, I was at a race and, and this woman, Stella, who I used to race with said, uh, she said, at, at what point does this stop being good for us? You know? And I, and I think about that all the time. Like I've gotten, I've dialed it back considerably. Um, but when you are, you're this, you're engaging in, you know, a, an athletic endeavor or whatever, it should be something that, you know, is good for you. You're, you're conditioning your body or whatever, but this is, you're really actually hurting, hurting yourself. And why is that? And I did it for years until <clears throat> it changed when I, when I fell in love and Whoa. that was, yeah, that was, uh, that it, it, I didn't, I just didn't feel compelled to beat myself up anymore to, to to that degree i mean there was always there's you know it's all you can't change a bird's color or whatever that saying is yeah 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 i think there's always nonsense available there's always nonsense and i find nonsense very attractive and it and it, 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 there's two sides to this right so like i'm a i don't drink i'm because i'm uh i'm an addictive person so I can't drink anymore because that goes really badly. But I was really attracted to like I smoked, I drank, I did drugs. And so there's this like sort of. There's this negative self-destructiveness. And then there's what I think I still do, which I think of as a positive self-destructiveness. Although I understand that that's oxymoronic to put it that way, like a positive self-destructiveness. And as an example, I would I would say like last year or 2021, I ran an ultra marathon. Oh, yeah. And, and during that ultra marathon, things were going really badly. I dehydrated. My heart rate was out of control. I was basically. I was worried about myself. 
And but I kept going and I got to an aid station and at this the people the guy who runs this uh the who promotes these races is a guy uh named Jason Green. It's Yeti Trail Runners and they have they're very punk rock, very like fuck everything, fuck everybody. They have for me they're doing it right. But so you get to the aid station and there's all the stuff that you would expect to find at an aid station at an endurance event, and there's also like fireball and moon pies. And stuff. And I, so I was, I got to the last aid station and I'm fucked. I am fucked. Like, I'm sure a paramedic would be like, you need to just get in the back of the ambulance. But I was like, but, but no, I guess I'm going to keep going. And I took a moon pie and my friend, uh, Magna was like, what are you doing? And I said to her, sometimes you just have to eat the moon pie. Like, no, it's not going to help me. It might even hurt. But this is a moment. This is a stupid moment. And it deserves a stupid gesture of stupidity. (laughs) And I believe in those moments. Like, uh, anytime something gets very serious, I feel like stupidity, it creates like a stupidity vacuum. And I feel compelled to fill it. Well, you know, like when an oil rig catches on fire, they throw a bunch of dynamite into it. So, you know, ba- basically it's fighting fire with fire. You the, <laughs> the the dynamite creates the dynamite create it it sucks up all the oxygen so it puts the fire out. I guess oh. that's I guess that's how it works. I love and that. And so when when you've got a when you've got a uh, a stupid inferno sometimes throwing additional stupid at it quells that initial i think that's a i never really thought about it in these terms before but i think that's a a fairly adequate analogy i really love that i really love that i when my dad died like literally when my dad died the the hour that my dad died we called the funeral home people to come get his body and that's really bizarre. You've been sitting you've been sitting there on death watch for however long and then finally the thing has happened. And so you've been kind of like um a mixture of bored and devastated uh this this time that you've been waiting, right? Like you know the person's going to die so you're devastated but it's also interminably long that it takes so you're bored as hell. And then and then it actually happens and your brain is completely flooded with I don't know what to do now. So you call these people and that's the beauty of these people. They know exactly what to do. So these guys show up in suits and they ask you to step out of the room because, of course, they're going to like throw your loved one in a body bag and whatever. It's there's that like um, uh, very physical reality to death. But so they step out of the room for a minute and I'm sitting there with my mom and my brother was it I think it was just the three of us and I said I said if if we could put on propeller beanies before they walk back in here (laughs) and just have dead straight faces (laughs) and play that so straight it would be the best thing that's ever happened to me and we had a really really good laugh about it and it was in this moment it was like the moment couldn't have been more serious 
And I just couldn't, I couldn't do any more seriousness. I just, well, there had to be some degree of relief too, because you'd just been, you've been holding your breath for, for this eventuality or this inevitability. And then it finally happened. And I think that, I think you and I treat stress similarly, um, you know, not like prolonged stress, but stressful experiences or, or stressful occurrences. you you respond with sort of off-color humor yeah. and and uh I, I always do it for as many times as i've you know as much time as i've spent in the in the emergency room it's always just like j- jokes you know yes. not because yeah. i'm having fun but because i'm so fucking freaked out i think there's an absurdity to those moments right whether it's uh, like a deep sadness or like fear or whatever, it, it becomes absurd to me. And the answer to absurdity to me is always more absurdity. Yeah. Yeah. So same. It, can, it can seem incongruous. Like your father just died. Like I was sad. I was relieved. I was sad. Like I was a fucking mess of thoughts and emotions. And my reaction to that would be like, well, this is chaotic. I'm going to add then I'm going to add to the chaos because pushing back against it is not possible for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's totally, it's totally relatable. Uh, as, as the urologist was sort of aggressively cupping both of my nuts in his hand <laughs> and I'm smelling smoke and all of this stuff like it's just it was just like it was like stand-up hour for me you know and it was and you could tell like i didn't want to like distract him too much because you like you know when somebody is yeah is literally nuts deep in you (laughs) 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 you don't want to you don't want to like make them laugh or you don't want to you know but it was like it was it was my 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 15 seconds like at the improv you know um yeah and i and i don't like it's it's always been that i don't nothing just be quiet self-reflective uh i don't know i mean i don't i don't i don't respond that way so i don't know it's 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 sort of a blessing and a curse but it, it definitely is a defense mechanism yeah it's a defense mechanism but i think it's also for me i i agree with that it's a defense mechanism uh, and it always makes me feel better. So it works really well. But I think the other piece of that is I've already done a ton of self. by the time I got to my own vasectomy and the, 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 the person was holding my, uh, nuts in their hand and doing what they were doing. I had already done a lot of reflection. So I had already processed a lot. So I had already moved on to the jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose, I suppose that's, I suppose that's true true too if it's uh, if it's a situation where you are caught off guard and it's like this immediate uh, you know okay uh, i'm gonna take get off that train of thought and when i there used to be i remember being in elementary school and if there was a fight or like tensions were raised i was immediately i remember one in particular when i was in third grade and there was a fight and i was the guy who was like adding comic relief you know, as at, yeah. at the fight's conclusion, everybody's super uh, keyed up, and the and, and anxieties are heightened, and all of this. And then I'm the I'm like the guy who's like bringing everybody back down. Yeah, but it was really for my own benefit. 
And so, I I mean, that's just how I've always been, I think, always been wired. And it's a (laughs) contradiction, definitely a contradiction, because I'm generally, I'm like, like 50% melancholy and 50% uh, like class clown, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm I'm equal parts maudlin sad bastard and Fozzie the bear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. I haven't thought about. I haven't really thought about any of this to this degree. It's an it's an inter- interesting topic, uh, but we haven't even really gotten into like the questions. So you oh. want to do that? Sure. I mean, okay. Uh, maybe we already did. So question one is for people who belong to privileged demographics, of which we are two. Uh, following the rules, doing what you're told, etc., pretty much always leads to good results in terms of financial and personal security. Why, then, is it so attractive not to follow the rules? What is that urge? I don't... I don't know. I don't know. I don't... They're... It, it's boring... That, I think, is a, that says an awful lot. So I went to a private religious school in Alabama, and the people who went there, uh, you know, they're on a track that leads uh-huh. them into a type of uh, middle and upper class society that is, I guess it's nice. Uh, but right from go, right from like third grade, I was like, I am not going to be able to <laughs> live inside this bubble. I'm going to need to pop it. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> there was, I mean, you go back to like particularly, um, uh, particularly formative points in your existence. And, uh, I can pinpoint personally, you know, like I wanted the same stuff that my friends had. I wanted to dress the same way my friends did. I wanted Nikes. Yeah. I wanted Levi's, I wanted Izod's, you know, and this is sure. This is little kid, like 10, 8, 9, 10 years old. And my parents said, no, you know, like we, we, one, yeah. we, we don't, ha- we don't have the money, you know, you're going to wear what you have or can get your hands on or it's hand-me-downs or whatever. Yeah. Like we didn't have, we didn't have a ton of money, but we, you know, at one point I asked my mom, cause it seemed it's the town that I grew up in, I guess, was reasonably affluent. That certainly is, I think, now. Uh, but I asked at dinner one night, are we poor? And she said, we're not poor. I suspect there's a lot of people in this town with a lot of debt. You know, what we have, we own outright. We don't owe money on things. And so essentially, that set me on a path of really kind of marching to my own drummer Uh, Because it was out of necessity. And then when I got, you know, I would be sort of ostracized to some degree or another for not looking like the other kids or not dressing like the other kids. Then then it turned into rebellion. And, you know, I went way off the other end of the scale instead of just kind of doing my own thing. It was with both middle fingers defiantly raised and and fuck you for judging me for what you have or I don't have or what you perceive as important. And um, 
it's both a blessing and a curse, uh, you know, because then I went on to live a life where I basically subscribed to my own set of rules. And now I'm 52 years old and I don't really have much to show for it. You know, I never compromised and I'm proud of that. And I've lived a life by t- t- lived, lived a life um, sort of of my by my design. And I'm proud of that. And my dad asked me, <clears throat> I think I brought this up in the past. My dad asked me one night recently if I had any regrets, you know, because I yeah. wanted to be I wanted to make art. I wanted to go to art school and I wanted to basically, you know, create a sustainable existence for myself in the here and now. And I told him that I didn't have any choice in the matter. You know, well, what else was I going to do? How else was I going to do this? Yeah, I think that's right. I think regrets are beside the point. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, just couldn't, I never, I just couldn't do, I couldn't do it. I can't, I, I hate, I, you know, I talk to me in five years, but, or 10 years, you know, I hate, giving up my existence, my daily existence, trading my life for a paycheck. It just seems like such an insane injustice. And so I haven't, and I figured out a way to make a living. It's not a super handsome living, but I've figured out a way to make a living where I don't have to make that compromise. And like I said, in a decade from now, you know, or two decades, come find me as a Walmart greeter because I can't afford to retire, you know, well, we can have this conversation again. And who knows what my thoughts will be at that point. Yeah. It's hard to, I, 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 I don't, that's, that, that's the wreckage of the future. I, I try mm-hmm. not, you know, you know, I try not to fuck with that. Um, yeah. I, I, it's interesting. My story is similar to yours, except I think we, I grew up solidly middle class and my parents paid for me to go to this private school, despite both being atheists. They sent me to this religious private school because they really thought the education would be better. Um, All the while sort of undermining any religious messaging that was being given to me. Um, But on the and I also wanted the same things that all my peers had. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to do whatever. My parents were sort of like, yeah, we're just not going to. We could do that. But they both grew up poor, uh, legitimately poor. And they had sort of arrived and they're like, yeah, we're definitely not squandering our middle, our middle class gains on fucking uh, brand name shit. Right. Uh, and if you want to do that, I guess you can. But we think it's a waste of fucking time. And eventually I came around, you know, at the time I was sort of like, but I'm an outcast. Uh, and then eventually I was like, oh, but that's okay. The other outcasts are pretty cool. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, it goes, it goes both ways where you say, oh, but I'm an outcast. And then looking at it through a different sort of lens, you're saying, fuck yeah, I'm an outcast. You know, it's really sort of semantics at that point. Yeah. There's, there's certainly no poor me in the story. Right. To, you know, like I think at the time I was like, but what about, you know, but I don't fit in, but like, then you find the people you fit in with. It all works out. Um, it all works out. You find your people, uh, they're funny and interesting and they laugh. Like my mom laughed her fucking head off when I said, we should have propeller beanies on when the <laughs> funeral home people come back. <laughs> 
And so you know, like, you're just with the right folks most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, I wouldn't be a kid again for for everything. I could I wouldn't do that again. Because <laughs> what a, you know, what a challenging... I mean, every day is a challenge. Um, but that was... That was rough to, to figure that stuff out and to be able to articulate that stuff, you know? Yeah, I think the thing is when you're a kid and I have kids and I watch this happen and I try not to. I try not to get to any particular way about it when my kids have their struggles, <clears throat> because every when you're a kid, everything is so fucking important. Mm hmm. Well, you don't have any perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so like as a parent, you kind of want to give them the space for that for them to have like you don't want to be like nothing is important. You, you know, <laughs> 16 doesn't mean anything. Uh, you're feeling let me let me invalidate your feelings. You don't want to do that. Right. Uh, but you also don't want to like dive in there with them and just respond and try to fix it all either. Think about how much you grow and how much you change between 13 and 16 and 16 and 18 and yeah. 18 and 24 and 24 and 28 and 28 and 35. You know, it's yeah. just it's you're not you're not even the same person. I mean, I wasn't uh, no, for sure know, emotionally. There's a lot of stuff that that stayed the same. But there's just these these few little years. And all of a sudden, you know, your outlook and your experiences and your feelings about things are. Uh, so much more evolved. It's it's really interesting, and it's yeah. cool that it's cool that you're. I don't know you, what you allow. You're allowing your kids space and grace to have all of that. I, I hope so. Knowing I hope so. how much it sucks or can suck. Yeah. 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 Um. Uh. So what is that urge? I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's wiring nature versus nature or nature versus nurture. I don't, I don't know. My other, my other thought, my, I have two other thoughts about this. And one of them comes from having been a teen smoker. Uh, and I think I became a teen smoker because like going to this religious private school and then having the father that I had, who was very like, you must work hard all the time. Um, I, I felt very locked down and so smoking was a way to express some level of autonomy from right? his from his perspective or his rule or whatever from ev from everything right oh, it's like okay. i've got everyone hounding me to do the right things all the time i the only way for me to uh, uh express that i'm a a self actualized human is to make bad choices interesting so that's one so there's like a personal autonomy like Kids do bad shit as an expression of personal autonomy. Everyone is riding me all the time not to spray paint penises on the side of the gym <laughs> and to study hard and do all this other stuff. The only way I can be a, 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 an actual human outside of their control is to spray paint penises on stuff and smoke camel lights. Did you have the uniforms? Oh, yeah. See, so I, that's even worse, you know? Yeah. What's the... Uh, uh, you must that, not express yourself. That movie, The Alpinist, we've talked about that before, yeah. about the uh, this really gifted climber up in Squamish, uh, B.C., who 
there's one. It's a great movie, and I will again recommend everybody watch it. But he talks about you know learning um, about different flowers and herbs and all of this stuff. His mom was teaching him all of these things outside, and then his first day of school, he went in and he had to sit at a desk and he had to follow these rules. And there was these structured hours, and he just he knew it was bullshit, and it was basically. Um, uh, what, what are the, what's the right always saying about, um, like conditioning kids, uh, into one way of living or another way of living? I can't remember the term. Um, I don't know. I I don't fuck with those people. It doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't matter. Uh, but it it basically is, it, it basically is like sort of teaching you how to sit at a desk and go to work to a nine to five. It's, it's conditioning you for a, a job of indentured servitude. And when he said that in this, in this documentary, I just like all of these light bulbs went off, you know? And I know I've told the story before my mom, I, it was the first day of first day of first day of kindergarten or first day of first grade. Yeah. And I got in the car and she asked me how it was. And my first question was, when do I not have to do this anymore? Right. Um, so not only are you being sort of turned into this, you just kind of like st- step in line and show up at eight and leave at three and eat lunch at this time, but you also have to look like everybody else. And yeah. that just, that's fucking, that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it was basically like squeezing me and then I burst at the seams mm-hmm. in very, in various ways. The the other thing, uh, the other thing I think about it is that for someone with and we talk about ADD a lot, I do not have diagnosed ADD or ADHD. I don't want to like step on people who are like really struggling to live their lives day to day. But I think it's a component of my personality. I think you agree that it's also a component of your personality. Mm-hmm. And I think for people like us a world that requires us to like sit still and do the right thing all the time is barking up the wrong tree. Mm-hmm. I just don't have the equipment for that. Yeah. I'd never even considered it. And I got tested for it when I was in ninth grade and they said that I didn't have it. And then a few years ago, my ex asked me if I had it and I was like, what? <laughs> well, I don't even like, no, of course not. You know, I can sit down and I can work on a painting for six hours at a stretch or, you know, I thought it was yeah. sort of like hyperactive kind of, you know, but then the more I learned about it in the interim or in the time since, the more I realized like, Oh, it checks. Oh, I check all of the boxes. Yeah. So uh, I think it's all, it's worth saying too, that it's not digital. It's not, you are, or you aren't. Everyone is somewhere on the continuum, right? Mm-hmm. There's a spectrum of that, uh, your ability to function in a locked down way. Right. Which is wild when you think of how public education is is uh, sort of um, for, uh, or exists like you get 30 kids and you're going to have 30 brains and you're going to have 30 brains that learn in 30 different ways and have 30 strengths and 30 weakness, multiple strengths and multiple weaknesses. But you're just throwing the sort of dragnet over it and saying this is how, you know, and if you don't, you slip through the cracks. Thankfully. I didn't. Yeah, I had this exact conversation with my older son who's about to graduate high school. And this was 
probably five or six years ago. He was saying like, I like he's fidgety. He's got all of these things, right? He's 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 all over the place. He's very smart, but he's like he's like me. He's sort of like exploding in various directions um, and babbling nonsense a lot of the time. And and I said to him, look, school's not really made for us. Uh, but the world is set up for people like that. So think of school not as made to educate you, but as like w- a workshop in how to deal with people who have what whatever the term is, normal neurological, <laughs> what's deemed normal neurological function. Right. And 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 he's done very well, like he he has he copes in various ways. Uh, and he's done very well in school, despite really not being able to sit still or listen to <laughs> listen to people talk for very long. Uh, just because yeah, there's just because you can't do that um, doesn't mean you're not totally brilliant. It's really it's really fascinating. I thought I was I thought I was stupid and I became hyper self-destructive. Um, and and self disparaging because I thought I was dumb for so long because I didn't fit in these parameters. Yeah. And yeah. you know we've talked about this before. My sister was a straight A student. Both of my parents were educators. Me not being able to even function in in a classroom was it was just nightmarish and put me and that you know that too like that put me on a totally for better or for worse, that put me on a real um, path of self-destruction for lack of a better term. Um, It's, it's just, it's just so, it's just so the world's so weird, man. I think that sums up today's post. The world is weird. The world is weird. Ah, God, we nailed it. Finally Uh, figured it out. The problem is that the world's weird. Question two, why do you love self-destructive behavior so much? Uh, even once you've recognized that you're being contrarian, why is it always so appealing? Is boredom a factor, a death wish, a sense of humor? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's what I thought too. Yes. I realized at some point and it was, you know, I think it happened, it coincided with, um, finding a person who cared about me that I wanted to be around, yeah. you know, and up until that point, I looked at my existence to a degree as being more or less sort of disposable. And I wasn't entirely sure for a long time, you know, up until my, probably my late twenties, that I'd even be around, you know, like not that I was going to, it wasn't going to be by my hand. I was just sure that I wasn't going to exist anymore. I was going to burn super bright and super fast. And, and I was absolutely comfortable with that. And then, you know, uh, say 18, 20 years later, I realized that I could burn pretty hot, but I don't have to burn quickly. And, and that feels, that feels pretty good to me right now. But man, it was just like, reckless abandon and didn't give a shit about and i wasn't you know well not doing drugs it wasn't i wasn't doing drugs i wasn't drinking to a point of hurting myself i was it wasn't anything like that it was just like 
no, you know, climb up to the tops of buildings and jump off of one roof onto another. And just to see, you know, like there's a chance it was exciting. It was fun. There's a chance I'm not going to make this. And there were people who didn't make it and wound up with broken legs and, you know, seeing yeah. people fall off of buildings when you're just out having fun, jumping from roof to roof is you would think that it would give you pause and like show you the, the, um, uh, the, the, what's the word of your actions? The consequences. God damn it. That's the second time I forgot the consequences <laughs> of your actions. That's, I can't Maybe even this remember. is part of the problem. I can't <laughs> even remember. I can't even remember the phrasing, but it has, it's definitely slowed down because I realize it's not sustainable. Yeah, I think that that's certainly the case for me. I stopped drinking because I mean, I thought I was going to die, but also I had it was very early on in my relationship with my wife. Um, And it was like, oh, I have a thing actually not to destroy myself about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she I don't know, she just took it all in. She just accepted it all. I was like, I used to really look at her as a guardian. Right. She's keeping me from fucking myself up. Um, I, th- I hope our relationship has evolved since then. I'll ask her about that later. Uh, but uh, but that was really nice. It was really nice. Yeah, that's uh, turns out that's a lot of pressure for some people. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I don't maybe, think maybe they don't want to assume that role at all in any degree ever again. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. So I think it, it, it definitely, it, it evolves. I think it's on one hand, I think it's, it's really beautiful. And, and it's something that I like the whole, you know, the stuntman association and my, uh, snake Hawk, he wrote a great, I can't, you just pointed to a bunch of planets. I can't say, Oh, there it is. It's the, the stuntman association patch. Um, uh, Snakehawk, who actually did that graphic for me, we were making chest hair jokes one day, as <laughs> as people sometimes do. Yeah, and he said, "I didn't grow up wanting to be a stuntman. My chest hair made the decision for me," <laughs> which I immediately turned into a sticker. And I, lo- I you know, I love that. Like, people, I just I wanted to be a stuntman when I was small. I wanted it so bad when I was in sure. first grade. That was all I wanted. It was that was it for me. I thought yeah. that was, and then of course the fall guy came out and I watched the $6 million man jump his truck and use all his stunt man skills and running down bail jumpers. And that was super cool and super exciting to me and not wanting to become proficient in martial arts or driving a car or really or rock climbing or anything, any of the things that you need to do to become a professional stuntman. Yeah. I just sort of adopted that as like a little moniker and I'm going to, you know, do it myself. And is it, you know, is that self-destructive? I guess there's a component of it or an aspect of it that, that is a little bit. It's funny that you say that because I was the same way. Like I, I think my first hero pretty much was evil Knievel mm-hmm. that everybody, I can recall. I, everybody, you know, I mean, that's our generation. That was 
he was a real life superhero. Yeah. And there, there weren't that many people doing that sort of thing at that point. No, he was. Now everybody he, does it. Now everybody, now everybody's a fucking stuntman. You everyone's know, like, a stuntman now. But Evil Knievel, I think my first two heroes were Evil Knievel and Muhammad Ali, who were both just like all the way kind of people, and I really mm-hmm. admired that. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a certain sense of like those are the people who are just responding to the urges we have. All of us have them, but they're the ones that are like brave enough to to say and do the stuff. Yeah, like consequences be damned. Yeah, you know, which that's a that's a fine line. You know, fucking evil can evil was just a hobbling, broken yeah. shell. And it turns out, you know, in the years since, uh, uh, we've learned that he was not a very nice person. Yeah. Um, but, but man, you know, as a little kid looking at this person who's just, they're, they, they are living life uh, 100% by their terms and using their body in these exciting and glamorous and dangerous ways it yeah. was just like i wanted that's that i wanted i wanted that yeah and and you know the tv shows that i watched and like i said six million dollar man loved that same loved i loved i wanted to run and jump and be fast and fly planes and i, I don't know it, it you know some people are want to err on the side of safety and caution and i wanted to fuck shit up I still want to. I still want I to. Too. My my 50 years of experience have maybe calibrated some of the risks that I take. And even if I don't take a risk, I still really want to. Sometimes I look at a thing and I'm like, God, it's killing me not to. Yeah. Because I know yeah. I'm going to fuck myself up. But you might not. And that's the whole, this is the whole risk versus, risk versus reward conversation. I had, uh, well, it was a, it was a big messenger party before the Psycho Messenger Worlds in San Francisco. And we were sitting on this hill and there's this descent and a launch ramp over a pyramid of beer cans that were sitting on a picnic table. And I was a little tipsy, like, you know, I'd had a few beers and I was like, there, I absolutely can do this. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's there, no confidence like tipsy confidence. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing about this situation that told me I was. I I couldn't do it. But then there was that one little teeny tiny little voice in my head that said, "If you don't do this, if you mess this up, you're fucked. You know, you potentially you're not going to be able to work." And uh, I didn't. I ended up hyperextending my leg, doing some other stuff later on that day. <laughs> But that, like, I, that was sort of, I was probably 27 or 28. That was maybe the first time that my little voice, my little, little guardian angel was said, Hey, take a beat, maybe not do this, you know? But then really in 2015, when I blew my knee out, uh, doing something just so innocuous, I think is the word, just innocent and stupid. Yeah. And I just stepped off in a place and, you know tore my ACL, MCL, meniscus and was laid up and had PT and PTSD because yeah. I'd never really fucked myself up to, to, to that degree before. Like that really shifted things for me. 
It's true, and I have the same experiences, but I also had the experience of walking away from stuff and and really like almost hurting about it. Like, yeah, the day that I uh, my family and I came to Bellingham last spring and we spent the mm-hmm. day together mm-hmm. and we went on a little trundle in the woods and there was a railroad track, right? And yep. the railroad track had like a, a tunnel. Culvert. Yeah, Cul- it was a big, yeah. big culvert under it. Yeah, culvert under it. Fairly narrow, right? I mm-hmm. don't know. And I looked at it, and maybe I was just excited because we were spending the day with you, but I was like, I got to crawl through that culvert. Yeah. And then I thought, nah, that's stupid. And then I thought, but now that you've thought it, <laughs> you're going to be bummed if you don't do it. Yeah, it's uh, okay. And that and that's, you know, that's easy unless there's like a bunch of rec- a family of raccoons and a little offshoot that, that you were going to run into or something like that. That's yeah. just an easy little crawl. But it's, you know, I think the conversation boils down to calculated risk. And when you're not calculating. Yeah. And you're just going for it. Yeah. That's where you get into trouble. And that's where you end up with arthritic everything when you're 52 years old. <laughs> But it also gives you pause and teaches you to calculate more uh, consistently or more completely going, going in and going on, going down the road. Cause it's gonna, I mean, I don't want to sit, I don't want to sit still. No. And I, and I still want to, you know, I want to fuck myself up, but I want to risk fucking myself up. Yeah. Cause there's no, there's no, there's no feeling like that. It's exciting just to think about. Yeah. Even just thinking about it right now, I'm excited. I want to I want to go do some stage dives. Yeah. I haven't done a stage dive in a little while, but the last time I did was just glorious and I was well into my golden years. And <laughs> and I just I was at a Bronx show and I was like, "Well, this is yes, this feels right." Down here on and the sh- boulevard, this is what happens. Sure enough, big big booster front flip right into a bunch of unassuming masses. It felt so right. <laughs> You know, if I can do that every 10 years, 60 for my 60th birthday, go to a punk show. Oh, man. I just watched. It was uh, seven seconds. It's a seven second show from a couple years ago. And I stumbled across this clip. And it is just it is such pure chaos and such pure joy. And the band is playing. Of course, it's young until i die and kevin seconds loses the mic within the first three vowels of the song and, <laughs> and he's just kind of hanging out on stage <laughs> you know like and the stage is just packed with people people it's just complete pandemonium and such happiness just like i i don't know i'm trying I'm, i've been kind of working on a different the definition between of happiness and joy and joy seems very foundational and happiness seems fleeting. Yeah. That's kind of what I've come up with. This clip is just, it's just pure joy. I, I love it so much. And I can, the, the, the sensation of being in the midst of that berserkness is, is palpable. Yeah. That feels so good. It feels so, it would have felt good at 13 it would feel good at 52. I'm going to just say 
two things, and then I really think we should get to the would you rather. The two things okay. I'm going to say are, um, first, I love a show where there's so many people on stage getting ready to stage dive that they can't because there's no one to catch them. <laughs> and two, I wish I had a photo book that was only the expressions on the faces of the people in the pit in the moment that they realized, actually, I have to catch someone falling out of the air right now. Yeah. So it's just people going, that's sort of like, oh, fuck. Can't duck, can't get out of the way. I got to commit to oh, this. I either have to let this person die or I have to take a boot to the face. I learned early on, my uh, if you're standing on the stage facing the crowd, the group to the left is always what I shoot for. You never jump into the pit because it's too, there. you never know. It's, you yeah. jump just to the periphery of the pit, which is unfair to the people who want to, maybe they just want to see the show and not, not get uh, 200 pounds dropped <laughs> on top of them. But, you know, you're also at a punk show and that's just kind of sometimes what happens. There's a reason they're on the periphery and you are their punishment <laughs> for that reason. I got a good scar on my back uh from a jesus lizard show and this was like 91 and jumped went through the i was kind of caught but not really and i looked down and there's broken glass all over the floor and i was like you know i wonder i don't know i didn't really think anything of it and then i went in i got a drink or i took a pee or whatever and my housemate came up i was remember the large shirt with the lamprey the giant exploded yes. photo of a lamprey i was wearing that shirt and she came up behind me and she's, she's talking to me and she said, what happened to your back? And I, it, I took my shirt off and it was just blood from the collar to the waist. <laughs> it was like my, and uh, I, lay, yeah, I, I cut my back up pretty bad, but didn't feel it. And I had that shirt forever. I don't know. It's probably in storage somewhere, but there's like a, a few little cuts and then there's just yeah, blood. Gross. The fact that neither of us wound up with hepatitis or some other horrible bloodborne diseases kind of a miracle yes so having said that uh let's get into the would you rather eh yeah let's let's knock this one out would okay. you rather eat a burger made entirely of earwax <laughs> 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 is the, okay, hang on a sec. Before we get on to the second part of this, is this yours or is this just a mixture of, of everybody's? <laughs> it gets addressed later in the question. <laughs> okay. Okay, sorry. Would you rather eat a burger made entirely of earwax <laughs> or eat a regular burger of your choice? Like, I don't care if it, you know, if you're a vegetarian. It doesn't matter. It does, it's going to be the burger that you want to eat but you have to wash it down with a pint of saliva. The earwax or the saliva, they come from the nicest, most wholesome and wonderful person you know. And you must finish one full serving of one or the other. Is the saliva chilled? Um, oh, Room good, temp. Good question. Let's say... Yeah, it's chilled because that's how you would drink a drink with a burger, right? So you're so what you're saying is you're either eating my earwax or <laughs> drinking my saliva. That's right. <laughs> the most wholesome, wonderful person I know. Oh, I I drink the saliva. 
my nickname uh, back in the nineties was uh, well, it's a long. It was sort of a middle name. <laughs> uh, it was uh, oh, no. will 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 eat anything for five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and but, I have ingested, I've ingested, and that started after somebody bet me I couldn't eat 50 slices of a mix. Actually, it might've been Ben Jacques Maine. Uh, he bet me that I couldn't eat 50 slices of American cheese in under a minute. The bike racer, Ben Jacques Maine. Yeah. That's how I know. He that was, name. if he wasn't, if it wasn't him that made the bet, then he, he definitely was present. Um, but, uh, I did, and then and then it and then it kind of took root, and then I and then ate a whole bunch dollars. of then it then I ate a whole bunch of other stuff. And over you were the like, course of the next, you were like, that was an easy five bucks. I'm gonna do this all the time because I need more if five dollars. Is if I do this consistently for the next thirty five years, <laughs> I might be able to retire. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying uh, you'll drink yeah, a pint would, of saliva over the burger, the quarter pounder of earwax. I would definitely eat the. I would drink the saliva for sure. Well, I had high hopes for this one, but I think I also agree with you that I would drink the saliva. I think this is the third week we've agreed. God, I hate that. Can you this imagine? Can... Have you ever bit into like a candle or a like a big lip smacker or Ugh. something? It would be like that, but so bitter. Same consistency, same density. I, maybe I should have changed the pint of saliva to a pint of that person's blood. Because. I'd still take the blood. You would? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would drink pee. I would drink, I would drink anything. The earwax is bad, right? I was, I, I came is. up with this one because I was cleaning my uh earbuds the other day and just uh-huh. feeling like the most dis- like i actually had the thought earwax is dumb i don't know why we have to have this because it is so gross what does what does earwax i feel like it keeps uh junk out of your ears i'm sure that it's incredibly useful except yeah. for short order cookery it's not as good <laughs> i was such a dirty little kid I remember, so at the beginning of the school year, my dad would wash my chest, like my sternum yeah. and my neck, and he would scrub what he called rust. And <laughs> we got to wash the rust off. And I just thought it was rust. It was fucking dirt. It was caked dirt. And uh, and my hair was long and shaggy. And I remember pulling it like my ear, my hair would get stuck in the wax in my ears. Oh. I was a, like a five-year-old homeless person i yeah. was so dirty and so gross but they just kind of let me go you know feral feral i was feral as fuck come in eat go back outside get dirty they just gave up on bathing or washing me yeah and it's surprising you know it's surprising and nowadays probably child protective services would get called but back then, it was just like, ah, oh, he's just a little dirty fucking mountain kid. We love our child. <laughs> what makes you think that he? we have a problem here? And then they just look at you. Just look at this fucking thing. Look oh, at man. this my, thing. My sister, was, my sister was pretty fastidious. She was clean. She was pretty prim, pretty proper. You know, she had, 
She just kind of had. She's just kind of always had her shit together. And then there was me. I was like a little pig pen. The pendulum had to swing back the other direction to create balance in the universe. Oh, but that's what I was going to say. I really used to enjoy pulling my hair out of my earwax. Like that was oh. a really nice sensation for me when I was little. God, that's yeah. I was I was a disgusting child. Ugh. Uh, okay, so that, I guess that kind of, so we're both on the same page again. We drink saliva, we drink pee, we drink, uh, blood. I don't know if I would drink the blood. I think I might do the earwax over the blood. Come on. Well, a regular burger, what, how much is this? Like, what size burger? Like a, a Wendy's patty? Pounder. It's a quarter a pounder. Okay. A Grand Royale. Yeah. Do you put cheese on this and condiments and such? I think that helps it go down better, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. A pint well, of human blood? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, maybe I next take... time I'm in Bellingham, we'll just set this up. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking the other thing I was thinking about, because uh, I listened to whatever the last episode that was out too, and we were talking about like, you know, it's a life the, that one was a lifetime commitment to going in public restrooms barefoot. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, this whole revolting project has fucked my life because now <laughs> I, I've, I've made all these miniature contracts. Uh-huh. I there's I, I, my memory so fucked up. I can't remember yesterday, but there was a public bathroom situation uh, just recently. And, and my, the first thing was, man. I would hate to take my shoes off in here. And it was just like, like it wasn't, I didn't even think about it. It just, it didn't, it just came up as I walked into the room. Oh, I'd have to take my shoes off. That would yeah. be awful. I'm glad I decided whatever the other thing was. And I, didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even remember. I didn't even remember what that was. Yeah, we, have the, we have these stupid conversations, but then they plant little <laughs> seeds. And then I go about my life and I'm like, oh no, actually I can't. I can't drink plain water ever again because I said on episode 32 that ins- I would. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're fucked. I hope I hope everybody else's existences are as derailed as <laughs> ours is. Ours, our, uh, ours are. Yeah, ours, ours are. Uh, all right. Well, let's fucking wrap this shit up. Thanks for listening to Revolting. If you have questions for us or topics you want us to pontificate on, you can email me at Stevel at cyclingindependent.com or robot at cyclingindependent.com. If you like this or any of the other fun stuff you find on the Cycling Independent, please share it with a friend as it is the only way we have to keep this party going. So as always, on behalf of Cycling Independent, I'm Stevel. And I'm Robot. Don't forget to suck it. Stay back.